We are starting the sex series, and it has been quite some time since we had a sex series. Um, just to kind of clear things up, as, uh, as the church lady told you, um, Netflix and chill is a euphemism, a joke for uh, do you want to hook up, do you want to have sex? And so that is why we are calling uh, this series Netflix and chill. And uh, before you go to bed tonight, if you would do something for me, if you have a prayer journal or anything like that, just add, add in um, that Ryan Sweat will not be fired from Beach Church. And if you could do that for me, that would be, that'd be great because uh, we're towing the line here and we're, we're really... Uh, we're really doing some risky things. So um, uh, we just, uh, just want to make sure that we talk about things as they are, though. We don't want to sugarcoat things. We don't want um, to speak around the truth. We don't want to say things or, or not say things. And then you hear those things elsewhere, out in school and in the world and on the Internet and all that thing, all that kind of stuff. So um, first of all, just a little bit about this series. We were not planning to do this series. Um, we were, as you guys knew, we were going to do a series on temptation um, but we kind of felt God moving us in a direction towards a sex series. At first, it was kind of like, okay, we'll do one next year. Um, but as we discussed it, as I kind of prayed about it, I talked to a few uh, uh, staff members and mentors about it. We kind of uh, came to the conclusion that God was moving us to do it right now. And we had already gone in the direction of the Temptation series, but we delayed it. We kind of put some things in motion to get everything done on time for this series because we felt God was calling us to do it. And so the prayer is that if God called us to do it, that God's going to do some work in each and every one of our hearts through this series. Um, I want you to know, um, know that I love you, know my heart for you guys, because the, the, the temptation when we're talking about sex is because all of us have different sexual history, sexual backgrounds between our family and, and ourselves and what we've heard and what we've experienced. And, and so um, I, I want to make sure that you don't ever feel like we're shaming you or guilting you because we're not, and that's not what God does. We talked about that a few weeks ago um, in the Like a Boss series, that God is not about guilt and shame. Now, sometimes he convicts us of some things in our lives, but he does not want us to, to just wallow in guilt and shame, and he does not try to make us uh, feel bad about ourselves. So know my heart, know that I love you, know that God, more importantly, God loves you, um, and that we are trying to uh, say the things that will prosper you. And we're going to look at scripture and look where God wants to prosper our lives. And we're going to try to be practical. Tonight might not be super practical, but there's a reason for that. But we're going to try to be practical. We want you guys to have some practical steps, action steps that you can take. If you need um, notes, if you need notes, raise your hand. Um, someone can bring you notes. Bryce, I think, has some notes. So if you need notes, raise your hand. Um, also, the scripture will not be on the screen. So if you need a Bible, uh, there's Bibles in the middle. Also, uh, Christian has uh, Bibles in the back, so uh, if you can catch his eye, um, that will be great. We want to take notes, and we want to read straight from Scripture throughout United. So get a Bible and get some notes. Tonight I want to talk about, um, talk about what is the big deal. What's the big deal about sex? Why is it, why is it so important? Why are we doing a series on it? Why is the world... So obsessed with it. Um, how many of you have had your parents try, attempt, however uh, poorly, to have a sex talk with you? Anybody? Anybody have parents that tried to have a, have a sex talk with you? It may have been awkward. It probably was awkward. It's, it's always kind of weird when the person that birthed you um, starts trying to tell you the process of how you were born. Because it's, it's just, uh, it's kind of an intimate situation between you and your parents. And so uh, it, it, gets, it gets pretty... Uh, pretty awkward. But I remember, um, I still remember the time where I had the sex talk 
with my parents. And actually, it wasn't my parents, it was my mom. In my, in my house, uh, my dad wasn't necessarily, you would think, oh, he's the pastor. He wasn't really the one that had the sex talk with us, it was my mom. And he had, the se- he had the sex talk, or she had the sex talk with, with each one of us. I'm not sure how old I was, maybe 9, 10, something like that. And um, is that young? Well, okay. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. So in the Lowry family, that's my mom's side of the family. In the Lowry family, uh, things are very out in the open. Granddaddy Lowry, one of my favorite people in the entire world. Um, Granddaddy Lowry was a, uh, a very out and open person when it came to any of the difficult situations and difficult talks. So the way he did the sex talk with my mom and her siblings, there were six of them, and they, um, and they range kind of across the scope of like 20 years. They all have a lot of different ages, but they would come home from college, high school, middle school, maybe elementary school, and uh, Granddaddy Lowry would, uh, would kind of sit at the head of the table, and they live in Atlanta, Georgia, and he would, he would look around the dining room table, and he would turn to each one of them and say, David, are you a virgin? Yeah, Dad. Donald, are you a virgin? Debbie, are you a virgin? All their names begin with D. Denise, are you a virgin? Diane, are you a virgin? Doug, are you a virgin? And they had to answer the question in front of their whole family. Now, you may say, that is torture, but they had the sex talk, right? They didn't like, they weren't kind of confused. They weren't wondering. He was very out in the open. That was how the Lowry family is. And so um, Denise Lowry, now Denise Sweat, is that way as well. So I remember when she, um, I, don't, I don't really know what prompted it, but she, she said, uh, let's, let, let's talk, Ryan. And so I was remember we were in the living room, and she kind of takes me into, into uh, my parents' room, and, and we walk down, and we sit on the bed, and she's like, now, Ryan, um, do you know what sex is? And I was like, uh, I don't know, like, and, and I didn't know. And, and she's like, well, there's a, a, special, a special part on a boy. You know what that's called? And I was like, yeah, I know, I know what that is. And she's like, well, there's a special part on a girl. You know what that's? Yeah. And then she was like, well, when, when two people are in a committed relationship called marriage, they, uh, to show their love to each other. And she kind of goes on and she says, you know, one part goes in another. It kind of fits together like a Lego. And then you, uh, you have babies from it. And, and I remember literally, I remember leaving that conversation and there were some misperceptions I had in that conversation that lasted until my marriage. It lasted until my wedding night. And I finally, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I, I kind of I knew a little bit about it. But, um, but there were some things she said that I was like, I, I just remember for years thinking, that doesn't make sense. And it didn't because I was wrong. Like I, I interpreted what she said in a very weird way and uh, wasn't quite sure what was going on. But she had the sex talk with me. And we all know it's kind of an awkward thing. It's kind of different, especially uh, when we're talking to to family members about it. Um, But the thing is, the world is obsessed with sex, so we need to talk about it. The world's obsessed with sex. We see it all the time in movies and in magazines. Every movie, even an action movie, has some kind of sex scene. Even like a a, a Marvel movie has some kind of sex scene. Uh, The world is just kind of obsessed with it, and everybody says that sex sells. It's in music. it's It's in popular culture. It's also in a lot of magazines. I have some examples for you. From oh no 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 I'm not showing you I'm not showing you Playboy or anything we're looking at some some safe some safe stuff. All right, so this is Cosmopolitan. Now seems like a very nice uh, a nice um, magazine, not super uh, sexual. It just seems like something for women. But if we zoom in, we see 100 sex truths. I don't even know how they have 100. They came up with 100 short and sweet answers to burning sex questions. Put them to use tonight. I. I you walk through a grocery store and you think, I'm just going to buy Captain Crunch and some Fruit Loops and some milk. And then you look over your Captain Crunch and there's just magazine upon magazine upon magazine like this that you wouldn't think are very sexual in nature. And then they have stuff like this. Let's go to the next one. 
the sex position they lust for. Guys voted. Guys voted. We can move on. So this is women's health. Now, you would think, oh, that's all about, uh, like, uh, working out and trying to get abs and all that kind of stuff. And it, it mostly is. But if we zoom in, it says this. Get up and get some secrets to mind-blowing morning sex. What's that got to do with a gym? Oh, I, I don't really understand. Do, is there one more? Men's health, another one. Look at that guy. Don't you wish you looked like him? Uh, men's health. Some of you do. Jackson Santora. Men's health. <laughs> Uh, the best kept sex secret, she doesn't want you to know. Now, I don't understand this. Why doesn't she want him to know? Like, if they're that great, you would think she wanted them to know. So even magazines that have nothing to do with sex are all about sex. Oh, there's one more, men's health. And then it gives us another 82 sex tricks to try. How can you do 82 tricks in one night? Let's be realistic. Come on. Come on, that's not realistic. So the world, the world gives us kind of a skewed belief. It gives us a skewed belief. And the temptation is, and what happened for years and years in the church was that we just don't talk about it. You just don't have sex. Sex is bad. Don't, don't, don't do it. it, it we, we're just not going to talk about it because that's kind of awkward. We don't want to have that kind of conversation. And the truth is we cannot do that. We cannot do that. We cannot continue to let the world show us what sex is and the world to dictate what we believe about sex because that leads to a path of destruction. We want to learn about it from the Bible. We want to learn about it from God because he has what's best in mind for us. We don't want to learn it from Google. We don't want to learn it from some random kid at high school that had sex twice in his freshman year and thinks he's an expert now. We don't want to learn it from a drawing that's on a bathroom stall wall. These are places that are not good to learn about sex, but a lot of us are learning about sex from those places. We're learning about it from magazines. We're learning about it from ads on the side of a Facebook page. And it's just not healthy for us. So we're going to look at what God has to say about it. And here's the first thing in your notes if you're taking notes. It's this wrong living always comes from wrong belief. This is why it's so important. This is why it's so important for us to get our information from the right source. Because if we get our information from the world, we're going to have the wrong belief. And it's going to lead to action which is not good for us. Or anyone else. Wrong living always comes from wrong belief. I want to show you an example about it. If I were to believe that tomorrow the world was going to end. I believed with everything in me. I believed an asteroid was coming to hit us. That we were all going to die. My actions would be quite different from the rest of you who think tomorrow is just a normal day. I'd be running around. I would just eat nonstop. I'd be spending money nonstop. I'd be having conversations that I wouldn't usually have. I'd have some desperate conversations. I'd spend some time with some people that I usually wouldn't have because I think the world's going to end tomorrow. And so I have, to, I have these wrong beliefs, and they're leading to some crazy actions. I'd probably go do some things um, that I would not do, take some risks that I would usually not take because, well, I've got no more time because I believe the world's going to be over tomorrow. But the rest of you who said, you know, that's, that's wrong, Ryan. That's not, a, that's not a true belief. You would just live a normal life, and you would be saying, you're crazy. What are you doing? And I'd be saying, no, 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 the world's going to end tomorrow because wrong living always comes from wrong belief. So we need to make sure our beliefs on sex are correct, our assumptions, our information on sex is correct. And, and, and for those of you in here that um, you don't really like what the Bible has to say about sex, um, you... 
you maybe might not call yourself a Christian, you might not call yourself a church person, um, I, would, I would just ask you, I would ask you to just try to understand what we're talking about. Just listen, have an open mind. You, you, you look at things a lot of times and have an open mind about them. Have an open mind about this. Just listen, see if it makes sense in your mind and in your spirit what the Bible says. And let's try to at least, at least see it from God's perspective and see what he's trying to do in our lives. So open up to Genesis 2, beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. And that's where it all begins. Genesis 2, verse 15. So the world has been created. Adam has been created. And this is where it picks up. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For you, when you eat it, you will certainly die. The Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. Now, stop for a second. Up to this point, everything that God created, he said, was good. He said, this is good. This is good. This is good. But he said, it's not good that you're alone. It's not good that you have no relationship, no one to be with. And so he says this, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. He needed more than an animal. He needed some type of partner that was suitable for him. So it says this in verse 21. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Another translation, it wasn't just the bone. It was the bone and the flesh around it, kind of like a piece of his side. And then he closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib or that piece of flesh that he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And then the man says this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She is, she's a part of me. We are, we are, um, we are closely linked to each other. What he's saying is this is, this is great, God. You have done, you have done a, a mighty work. And he says, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. We are the same. We are one in the same. And then this, this is what it says in verse 24. This is why, because of this creation account, because of how God created things, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. That word for united means like to be cleaved together, to be unbroken for the rest of life, to be united in a committed relationship referring to marriage. And they become one flesh. They become one flesh spiritually, emotionally, and physically. It's referring to a sexual relationship as well when it says they are becoming one flesh. And then it says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. Now this is how God intended sex to be. He intended it to be in this, this unity of commitment and he intended no shame, no regrets. None of that. He wanted us to have a relationship, man for woman, woman for man, and he made them for each other. So this is the next thing in your notes. God created sex. It is good, not evil. God created sex. It is good, not evil. 
Because the only thing he said was not good was that man would be alone. Everything he else, else he said, or else he created, he said, this is good. This is very good. I want them to be together. He created it, and he created nothing that is evil. It is good, not evil. Here's the second, uh, another thing in your notes. Sex is best within the commitment of marriage. Again, from the very beginning, from this very beginning scripture, it is referring to sex within the commitment of marriage. The commitment of marriage. So God created this amazing thing, this good thing, and he wanted it to be, to be used without shame, without guilt, without regret within the context of marriage. So why did God make it? Why did God make it? I found three reasons um, um, from scripture and, and just from, from kind of the way uh, things function. The first thing is that in, in, in chapter one, he says, be fruitful and multiply. So it was, crea- it was created for procreation. He wanted more children. He wanted more relationships between people. He wanted um, the, 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 the human race to grow, the human race to grow that would one day be um, given salvation through his son, Jesus, that he could have relationship with, intimate relationship with. So he wanted, um, he wanted sex for procreation. This is why sometimes, and, and I really don't mean this in an offensive way, but sometimes I hear people, whether they're married, but especially like teenagers and, and young people that say, I can't believe I got pregnant. I can't believe God did this to me. God didn't do that to you. Sex makes babies. And sometimes we, we were like, oh, well, uh, I just wanted to have sex and not have the result. Well, that's not how life works. You know, it, it, there are consequences and there are results from any action. And so sex, first and foremost, was created for procreation. And that's what happens is that babies come from it. That is how we continue to multiply this earth. The second thing he made it for is pleasure. He could have made it any way he wanted to. He could have made it, we touch elbows, we give like a, like a head bump or something like that. He could have done some weird things, like a hip check to somebody. And that would have made like, that, that would have made things like clothing all differently. It would have just made the world totally different. But he made it in a way that was pleasurable. Well, out, of, out of most species in the entire world, humans are one of the few species that have sex for pleasure. Not just for procreation, but have sex for pleasure. And so, um, and so that is another reason why he created it. He wanted it to be a gift to us. He wanted it to be good. He wanted us to enjoy it. He didn't want it to just be like a handshake or something like that, or else he would have created it that way. He created it in a way that feels good. And we don't have to feel like weird about that, and we don't have to think that's bad. It's a good thing. That's how he created it. So he intended it to be that way. So he created it for procreation, pleasure. And then he created it as a way to express intimacy. Now, a lot of times people say, well, I want to be intimate with my boyfriend, so we're going to have sex. I want to be intimate with my girlfriend, so we're going to have sex. But the truth is, intimacy does not come from sex. Actually, intimacy leads to sex. Intimacy in language, intimacy in the way you talk to another person, intimacy in relationships and in serving someone and in being committed to someone. These things lead to a physical sign of your intimacy, which is sex. This is why a prostitute or someone that has sex for money does not do it and be intimate. They don't feel intimate to these people. It's a contract. It's a negotiation. It's a shameful, for, for many of them, they feel shamed about it. They're not doing it because they feel intimate with the other person. And if sex really was intimacy, they would feel intimate with all these different people. But that's not the truth. It is a way we can express intimacy. God gave us this, this, this design, this path to express our intimacy to other people. So procreation, pleasure, and it's a way to express 
intimacy. Now I want to flip over to John 10 in the New Testament. John 10, John chapter 10, verses 7, and I'm just going to stop in verse 10. So John chapter 10 in the New Testament, verses 7 through 10. Now, this is not a, a, a scripture about sex. It's, it is not really about sex at all, but it has, um, it has some, some things that it teaches us about sex and what God wants for us. So he's talking about being the good shepherd, Jesus is, and he says this, Very truly I tell you, he's just said he was the good shepherd, now he says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. What he's saying is the world, the world's intentions, it, it, it's, it's, it's thievery. But the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He's saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They will come in and go out and find pasture. That may just seem like a simple word to you, but finding pasture means peace. Finding pasture means satisfaction. Finding uh, pasture means fulfillment. He says, they will find pasture. My followers will find pasture. He says, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. The world wants to steal and kill and destroy. Hear this, because you're not going to hear it anywhere else. You're not going to hear it in the world. You're not going to hear it in high school. You're not going to hear it on the internet. You're not going to hear that the things of the world destroy you or have the possibility of destroying you. You're going to hear it's going to make you happy. It's going to make you feel great. It's going it's to make you feel free. But that's not the truth. It is a lie. He's saying the world lies. The world is coming to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then this is what he adds on. I have come. That they, meaning all of humanity, may have life and have it to the full. And in verse 11, he then says, I am the good shepherd. I lead my flock. He wants what is good for us. He wants what is right for us. He wants this wide open life, like a, like a sheep going to pasture and having all the food they want, all the protection from, from evil all they want. No, nobody can come and destroy them. No thief can come. No, no wolf or no bear can come and destroy them. They, they have pasture. They have freedom. They have full life. And the truth is God's commands always protect us. And I want to give you an example. Look at the, look at the Old Testament and look at um, some, of the, uh, some of the commandments that God gives us. When God says, do not steal from your neighbor, what is he doing? He's not saying, I don't want you to steal. Like, I'm just trying to control you. What is he doing? He's saying, it's not good for you to do that. You're going to hurt other people. They're going to hurt you back. You're going to go into prison. You're going you're gonna to feel bad. You're going to feel guilt. You're going to feel shame. It's not a way to live your life. Don't do it. I'm trying to help you out. That's what God's saying. When he says, don't covet after people's stuff. Don't compare yourself. Don't want everything else that other people have. He's not trying to, like, hurt us. He's trying to protect us. He wants to, he wants to see us live a life that is free from comparison and from looking at someone and saying, I wish I had what they had. I wish I could be like them. We all know that that leads nowhere. It just leads us to feeling bad about ourselves. And so he says, don't covet, don't compare yourself. He says, don't murder. Why does he say not murder? Not so that he can control us and be like, we're like a bunch of robots. He's saying it so that we do not hurt other people and that they do not hurt us back, that we do not spend life in prison. That's not a wide open, free, abundant life. We can all agree on that. God's, all of God's commands protect us because he gave us free will. We can do whatever we want. That's really kind of a theme of scripture is like Israel Israel, go, go, I want you to follow me, I want you to have a relationship with me, but, I, I mean, if you do what you want to do, then do what you want to do. 
I'm going to allow you to go because I want to have a true relationship with you. I don't want to have some forced like slavery deal. I want to have a true loving relationship with you. So I'm going to give you the free choice. So that leads us to the next thing in our notes. God's guidelines for sex protect us. God's guidelines for sex protect us. Just like all of his other commandments, the guidelines for sex protect us. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to say, I want the grace, God. Come on, give me the grace, baby. I want that forgiveness. I want a little bit of that brotherly love. And I want, um, for sure, I want you to serve me, God. I want you to wash my feet, all that kind of stuff. Oh, but the sex... I'm going to kind of put that over here, and I'm going to ignore it. I had a friend in college who was a Christian, went to, went to church and all that kind of stuff. We would talk about Christ. Um, and so I was close to him. And one time, and I knew what he was doing, and I knew he was, you know, living with and sleeping with his girlfriends and all that kind of stuff. And I asked him one time about it um, because I was in a, in a close relationship with him, and I could ask that without coming off as judgmental. And he was like, well, honestly, Ryan, I kind of ignore that part of the Bible. And I was like, well, at least you're being honest about it. At least you're being honest and saying, I just don't want to listen. But the truth is, a lot of times we say, I just want to do what I want to do, and then I'll take the stuff that I want from God. And we can't do that. We have to look at all of his guidelines for us and know that they protect us. The best, um, the best illustration I've ever heard of this is a fire. A fire, we can all agree, is a good thing. It keeps us warm. For many generations of human history, it was the only way to cook food. It was the only way to survive. It still is a, a means to survival in many cultures. And uh, it is a good thing. We can all agree on that. But we can also agree that fire can cause devastation. If a fire were to break out in this room right now, there would be a loss of life. There would be a loss of property. We would all be pretty upset about it. We would say, gosh, I hate that that happened. This is why we have firefighters. Why do they fight against something that's good? They fight against it when it's outside of its boundaries, when it's outside of where it should be. A fire in a fireplace is great. We'll sing around it. We'll dance around it. We'll warm ourselves up to it. We'll roast some marshmallows. It's great. But as soon as the fire gets out from where it's supposed to be, it is a dangerous, life-threatening thing. That's the same thing with sex. It is a good thing. It actually gives life, literally can give life. And create babies. It can bring pleasure. It can bring fulfillment within a, a marriage relationship between two people that love each other and are intimate. It can bring this physical intimacy. But when it is let out of the boundaries that God created it for, it can be devastating. Many of you know, and I've shared with you, that I was a virgin on my wedding night. And I don't say that because I'm trying to act like I'm perfect, because I'm not at all, even when it comes to sexuality, I'm not perfect at all. But that was something that I was able to experience this guideline of God specifically. Because while my friends, some of my friends may have um, dealt with worry about a pregnant girlfriend, I never had that worry. I think we can all agree that we'd rather not go through high school living week to week thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know. If, oh, my gosh. I, I've talked to, to friends who, who are like, I've been in those situations, and it's, like, devastating. I think we can all agree that that's something that's not necessarily an abundant, wide-open, freeing thing. We can all agree that STDs aren't good. It says, uh, statistics say that in America, one out of every two sexually active people will have an STD by the time they are 25. And one out of every two people, just in general, will get an STD at some point in their life, or an STI. They will get one of the two. And we can all agree that disease isn't a good thing. It, it, there are certain things, I was talking to a lady that's a nurse in our church, and she was saying there are certain things that aren't treatable. Even today, they're not treatable. You can't get rid of them. You can't undo that mistake. You can't not pass it to your spouse 
You can't not pass it to your children one day. It is a, it is a life, it is a lifelong consequence. I didn't have to worry about those things. A lot of my friends that were not, were, were, did not have sex until they got married didn't have to worry about those things. We can all agree that it's better to live without worry, right? We can all agree that it's better to live without these, these threatening things in our life. We never had to worry about going down a hallway and seeing someone and thinking, oh my gosh, I shared, uh, I shared partners with that person. And I know my friend slept with this person. And the devastation and the emotional wrecks that, that, that ensue from that. Um, one time, our, our student pastor, when I was younger, said this. Sex, premarital sex, hurts good relationships. It will end good relationships. And it will prolong bad ones. You'll have these good relationships that are going on. And, and things are going great. And then you get in a sexual relationship. And it starts to break down the foundation of that relationship, because that's not the way it was meant to be. But you might be in a bad relationship, and you kind of feel stuck, or you feel like, well, we've been going out long enough, we might as well do it. And then, and then you get in that sexual relationship, and all of a sudden, you feel even more stuck than you felt before. And so you stay in this relationship. Some people stay in abusive relationships for years because they had sex, and they don't, they're like, oh, man, well, I'm, I'm this far in right now. I might as well see where it ends up. It hurts good relationships. It prolongs bad ones. And these are just some statistics that I got um, from SOS, which is a local um, uh, teen uh, advocacy program. Guys or, or girls are three times higher, uh, highly, more highly likely to commit suicide that are sexually active than, than that are not. I, I brutalized that. Three times more likely to have a suicidal, um, a suicidal thought and, and commit suicide than someone who is not sexually active. And among guys, it's even higher. You would think the opposite. But among guys that are sexually active, teenagers, they are eight times more likely to commit suicide than ones that are not having sex. The higher, there are higher depression rates among girls and guys, two to three times higher among sexually active teens than non-sexually active teens. But it's not just the bad. It's not just the bad. There's also good in following God's ways. We have healthier relationships. We have less burnt bridges. We can have less regrets. We can live this life that is free from some of the, some of the self-sustained injuries that we have. Some of these things that we just bring on ourselves. And God wants to protect us. So that's why he gave us these guidelines. To protect us. To prosper us. And I want you to remember that because it just makes sense. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in anything in the Bible. The things that I've just said make sense. Nobody wants to be depressed. Nobody wants to commit suicide. Nobody wants to have bad relationships. Nobody wants to have STDs. Nobody wants to have unwanted pregnancies. We, those are things that we can live without, and we can control. We can control those circumstances if we listen to God on his guidelines for sex. And here's the last thing that I'm going to close with. It's in Galatians 5.1. You don't have to turn there. Galatians 5.1. I'm just going to read it to you. It says this. It is for freedom... That Christ has set us free. Listen to that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You would say, well, that makes sense, right? I mean, if he sets us free, he wants us to be free. But that's not the way the world offers freedom. This is what it continues to say. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened. All those things I just spoke about were burdens, were worries, were things that we don't have to go through. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, by a burden of slavery, by, by something that is consuming you 
and destroying you from the inside. So here's the last thing in your notes, and this is probably the most important thing because it relates to everything, not just sex. God's freedom frees us, and the world's freedom traps us. God's freedom frees us. And the world's freedom traps us. That's what Galatians 1 is saying. He's saying, Christ wants to set you free. Christ wants to give you freedom. But the world, remember what Jesus said, it comes to steal and kill and destroy. Yeah, you're going to feel free for about a week. You're going to feel free for 10 minutes. You're going to feel free for a couple of years. But eventually, those freedoms that you think are making you happy are going to destroy you. They're going to start to creep around you like a cage, and it's just going to get smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually you are going to be stuck in a prison that you created. A lot different than what God says. I want you to have an abundant life, a free life, a wide-open, spacious life. And when we look just, when we look logically at the two options, they're very clear. God's way leads to life. It leads to, to, to freedom. It leads to abundance. But the world's way, it's just going to mess us up. It's going to trap us. So don't give in to these short, temporary freedoms that in the end destroy you and trap you. Listen to what God has for you. And so as we continue this series, we are going to talk more about how to practically do this how to practically live this out. And tonight we're going to have um, Daniel Clayton come up, and he's going to give us a spoken word on sex. And then, we will, uh, and then I'll come back up and we'll pray, and then we'll continue in worship.